the Barbecue League is the ultimate barbecue experience. Here's why. One small annual investment from you instantly unlocks all 70 plus tell-all recipes, enthusiast recipes, restaurant tours, and more in their unmatched library. This isn't your typical YouTube type content. World champions like Get and Basted, Shake and Bake Barbecue, Heavy Smoke Barbecue, La Pasadita Barbecue, and 913 Barbecue share their full tell-all recipes. No secret is left unset, and a new video release is guaranteed every single week of your membership. You'll also see unfiltered looks from all levels of pitmasters during their live competition coverage. And those same pitmasters are accessible through the league's upbeat online community. As soon as you sign up, you'll also have a full arsenal of some of the best discounts in barbecue from brands like Snake River Farms, Blues Hog, Big Papa Smokers, Gunter Wilhelm, Gateway Drum Smokers, and more. The Barbecue League puts on members-only contests throughout the year, hosts live and virtual events, and offers full-access league lounge at participating events. Listeners to this podcast can receive $10 off of the $100 annual membership this month only by using the code JULYPITMASTER, all in caps, on thebarbecueleague.com. So I advise you to do this. It's been a great help to me and a lot of people out there. There is no better $100 spent on barbecue right now than the Barbecue League. So, July Pitmaster on thebarbecueleague.com. Alrighty, we are here this week with one of the coolest guys in barbecue, Ryan Murphy from Dirt Road Barbecue. How you doing, buddy? Good. It's good to have you on the show, man. Happy belated birthday. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, I have to tell a story about probably one of my favorite barbecue nights ever. And that was the, I believe it was Thursday night at the King of the Smoker. (laughs) (laughs) And we had all been drinking a little bit and, and, but we were hungry. So I think it was me, me and Kim and you and Karen, right? Yeah. Where we Ubered to in and out. We Ubered to in and out (laughs) and yeah, got a ton of, uh, terrible food and brought it back to the hotel that was a good time <laughs> oh man i'll never forget that trip all of us just piled in that car it was great yeah i think it was like a nissan sentra yeah and, and I, we went through like an intersection and you and i were in the back crammed in there and bottomed out <laughs> that'll happen when you have two large guys in the back of our car so, man, let's talk some barbecue because, well, let's actually, we got more stories to tell because several people have referenced you on this podcast with some hilarious stories. I re- understand that you recently took a long road trip with Mr. Blaine Hunter. Yeah, we went to uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia earlier this year to cook and pick up a smoker for him. Yeah, and he was telling me how, uh, you know, everyone was getting ready to go eat. And you were like, no, I got to stay here and clean this smoker. You are probably, I think, one of the most OCD people about the cooker and one of the people that I've learned the most from in terms of Jambo maintenance. Can you talk about your process and how you keep your pit clean? It, I just look at it as like people, some people just like I look in their pit and it's just like, leftover like grease and mold and i just don't know how you'd want that on your food so 
it just, it almost bothers me to a point where <laughs> I, I can't handle it. So, and, and the pit really wasn't that dirty, but it was one of those things where it's like, they were going to go eat and I was just like, Hey, I'll just stay back and scrape this thing out. But yeah, it's just one of those things that's always kind of been a pet peeve of mine. And I like things like organized, neat and clean. And it's, it's just something that I've always done. And I kind of feel like it helps is, you know, you don't, why would you want to eat something off something that's filthy? Right. No, I, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, when I looked in your pit for the first time and I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of how I've kept mine ever since, since that happened. I mean, there's a difference between something that's got, you know, a little bit of seasoning on it and then, you know, something that's got like three inches of grease setting on the racks too. So, I mean, it don't have to be, you know, perfectly spotless, but there's some yeah. of them out there that are, I've seen that are pretty bad. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, a, <laughs> it would, it would be wrong of me not to bring it up. I was with uh, some guys a few weeks ago, uh, ALE at barbecue and they were behind me and I walked over Friday afternoon and looked inside their pit and I was like, Oh my gosh. They're like, ah, we clean it in the morning when it's warm, it'll be fine. And I was like, Oh man, like that's no good. <laughs> they ended up GCing that day, <laughs> but they did clean it out in the morning. So it was pretty, guess if you have your routine, you know, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about on here is people's routines and stuff and, and superstitions. And I know that you like to do things the same way. Every contest, can you talk about some of your routines and superstitions? Um, I I don't know We're. I guess I do have a pretty set routine, like a uh, contest week. I, I try to like trim my chicken on Tuesday night, trim my brisket and pork on Wednesday. If, if possible, we try to get to a contest early. Cause I like to have everything done. So like on Friday, I don't have that much to do. Like if we can get to a contest on Thursday night and set up, then like, I can sleep in on Friday morning and right. Friday's just an easy day. And, you know, a lot of times when we were cooking a lot, it was one of those things where a lot of times Joe Pierce with slaps and I would go eat breakfast on Friday morning. And that was kind of a routine thing. And it was just, that was just one of the regimented things. Like I kind of had something every day of the week that I did. Yeah. But that was kind of like always kind of my thing is to, try to make Friday as easy and as stress-free as possible where a lot of teams are, you know, struggling to get there, you know, showing up late, getting set up, still have to trim all their meat, you know, yeah. and it's a, it's a big rush. And I think that's where you can miss things and, but just you're in a rush then. Yeah. And I think, I think getting there and have every, having everything done that you can before you get there just leaves a lot more brain power for the actual cook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just now, make, it makes things just like for me, just so much like less stress on me. It's like if more that I can have done ahead of time, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I also understand that your wife, Karen, has a Blaine story, too. 
Uh, are you talking about where uh, we were? I think we were in Cheney, and I had I had been grinding uh, like sweet money for ribs, and I was out, and I knew Blaine had some, and he was like two trailers away, so I sent Karen over, and he didn't know who it was, and he just hollered, "Just come on in." Well, he has this thing where he always uh, just will be on the toilet with the door open because he thought it was like <laughs> David McAllister or something. Well, my wife walks in and she catches Blaine on the toilet. And <laughs> that's kind of his thing, I guess. Right. And now poor Karen's scarred for life. Yeah, that that's a that's something that you just can't unsee. Right. <laughs> and he's very proud of that entire situation. And Oh, yeah, he's did it to Bethany. He's did it to so many people. <laughs> it's just not, yeah, it's not a good thing to look at. No. Uh, so you're also, I, you're a big music guy when you cook, right? You like to listen to music? Yeah. And my playlist is pretty, I'd, I'd probably catch a lot of heat for it. Cause I listen to a lot of like, I guess, country rap, like Adam Calhoun, Jelly Roll, Ryan Upchurch stuff like that but it'll go from that to like stuff that Karen listens to I mean it's pretty mm-hmm. diversified from rap to country to classic rock I mean we pretty much listen to everything yeah that's awesome I mean we I remember when we were in Valley Nebraska together and listening to some of the infant sorrow songs from... <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> It was a great time, and I was like, you came over and started singing, and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Having your week be the same every week, I think, is a is a big deal, and I know that a lot of people can't do it, but I think it just puts you in the right mindset so that you can help stay focused. Is, is there anything that you can do that you do in the trailer whenever you feel like you've lost your focus? I don't know. I probably uh, maybe just step back and let out a string of cuss words and maybe have it, <laughs> have, have, have a shot. But, you know, you, you have things when things don't go quite your way or something's going awry. But I mean, I think usually through experience, you just kind of, you know, know kind of what to do. You just kind of learn from situations. So I think the more you cook, the less you have of those instances. Yeah. I would agree with you too. It's having that experience and having all the the cooks under our belts really keeps us prepared for a lot of things that could could happen. How has your career and life experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be a better pit master? My uh, family growing up was in like the restaurant and bar business. And my biological dad was like a chef. So Mm -hmm. like my mom always kind of teased me that's like in my blood to be like a good cook. So (laughs) I guess, I don't know, it's kind of just in my family, like cooking food and and stuff. So I think maybe some of that just rubbed off on me somewhat. Yeah. And uh, my uh, sister and brother-in-law kind of got uh, started in it. Our hometown had like a little non-sanctioned barbecue contest and 
he had always smoked a bunch of food and one year they weren't going to be able to do the contest and they basically conned Karen and I into doing it. And that's kind of how we got started. So, you know, <laughs> kind of passed on from family, so to speak. Yeah. That's interesting. And in that, you know, I, uh, I, I learned a lot from cooking with my mom, but I never thought that it would lead to, you know, like competition barbecue and, uh, everything that has been, been entailed with that. Yeah. I really never planned to really get into it. It's we did the first one and it was, we didn't have that good of results and it was just the natural competitiveness in me is like, Oh, I can't leave on, <laughs> on that. So it kind of just led to, you know, wanting a better result. Yeah. And then once you got some results and then it was like, you get addicted to that. Yep. And then you get addicted to the good times and going out right. and seeing everybody. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I tell people all the time, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a hobby and a great habit, but it can, it can eat up everything. And, uh, yeah, there sometimes for a, few, uh, for a few years we were just consumed by it. I mean, that's all we did. Yeah. Yeah. Us too. And to a lot of extent we still do. Um, so I, I don't ever foresee getting out of it. Has there ever been a time where you've thought about quitting competition barbecue? Yeah, probably within like last year and even maybe it's some at the beginning of this year. We didn't cook that much last year. We had opportunities to cook. It was just when we were cooking, it, we weren't really doing anything different. We just weren't getting the results that we'd gotten before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things were like, everything had changed last year. Like it was harder to get good competition. meat. purses were down. It was just, everything was different. And I was just like, why am I continually going out and just kind of like beating my head into this wall? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like I was starting to not have as much fun. I think I was a little bit burnt out on it, honestly. Yeah. And I was, you know, remembered that I had other hobbies that I like to do too. So I think, like you said earlier, I don't see us probably ever getting completely out of it. But there was some times where I was just like, man, I'll just, you know, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. But and at the beginning of this year, you know, it was like everything had gotten so expensive. And there was a, I remember early on, there was a couple of weeks where it was just impossible to find good ribs, like good St. Louis cut ribs. And it was like, I'm having troubles finding meat, diesel so expensive. You know, some of the purses around the Kansas city area are just ridiculous, mm -hmm. like low. And I was just like, I'm just not going to do this. And we weren't getting very good results. Well, luckily the last few contests, you know, we've kind of started to get kind of back in the swing of things and are starting to enjoy it. And I'm just being a little bit more picky about the contest, you know, going to places where we know that we like the venue, we like the contest and we know that our friends and stuff are going to be there and we're going to enjoy it and have a good time. That's awesome, man. That's what it's all about. Let's switch gears a little bit and start talking and talk about gear. Uh, what's one of the, best or most worthwhile investments that you've made in competition barbecue? Wow. There's, there's probably a couple. I mean, 
probably the biggest investment would probably be, but also the best would probably be our, our porch trailer. Yeah. But I mean, that's not something that like, like anybody like new starting out could go get. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, that was a game changer. It just cut so much time off, like set up and tear down. And it, it just makes things so much easier. Um, yeah. And comfortable. Yeah. You know, when it storms, you're not, you aren't dealing with canopies. It just makes things way, way easier. Another thing is I'm kind of torn on it. Cause I think classes are a really good thing, but they've also, I think have a negative impact to a degree too. So for new people, classes will shorten the learning curve. Oh, definitely. By years. Yeah. And that was like one of the biggest things for me early on was taking a class. So I'd say probably, you know, a class or our trailer, or or maybe even when we switch to the Jamba, the smoker itself. Mm -hmm. Well, those are all expensive things. Like you mentioned, do you have any purchases of a hundred dollars or less that have most positively impacted your competition barbecue life? I'm not sure where it is on the price range, but I'm pretty sure it's under a hundred dollars. Be that uh, the burn-in jig from 270 Smokers. Oh yeah. I'm not the best with uh, knife skills always, so <laughs> th- that thing has really been a game changer for me as far as making like you know real consistent, precise burn-ins. So mm-hmm. it's something that we use every week. Now burn-ins might not always go in our box, but it's something that I use at every contest. That's interesting that you brought up. It might not go in every box because I think that's something that a lot of uh, newer and inexperienced pit masters can really learn from is that I tell people all the time, I'm like, don't, don't put that eighth rib or the burn ends or that seventh piece of chicken in there. If it's not as good as the other six, there's no reason to you got to put your best meat forward and let that stand on its own. That's something that I really fought with my pork boxes. I always tried to put like different muscle, like a lot of different muscles in the box. Mm -hmm. And I was almost beating myself because I was competing essentially against myself too much. And I know halfway through this year, I just simplified it and I'm literally putting bacon and money muscle. And since I've simplified it and just went back to those two, our pork scores have went way up. Yeah. And it eliminates it's again, it's eliminating a lot of stuff out of your brain that you don't have to think about anymore. And I think that's important. For so long, I thought that I had to have like some chunks with bark in there and I was putting, you know, that horn or eye muscle in there and I, it was just, I think I was just competing against myself. And it's the yeah. same thing with burn ends. Like if the burn ends are really good, they definitely need to be in the box. But if they're not, you know, there's been plenty of times where it's been a lot of 180s with slices only. So, <laughs> yeah, you went on a hell of a run in brisket there for a couple of years. Pretty hard to beat. I always seem to manage to do just good enough to get like second. <laughs> 
Uh, you've had had quite your fair, fair share of first places too, though. Do you use a lot of technology in your approach? I would say I'm kind of 50-50 in that regard. I do use, like, when we wrap, I'll put a, a probe in the flat and a, a probe in the in the butts just to, like, then to, to check. But I cook with a lot of just, like, feel and, you know, gut. But I'd, I'd say I'm kind of 50, 50. I don't use a, a lot of, I don't have a probe in every piece of meat that I have on the cooker or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I know that there's some guys out there that track like temperature throughout the entire cook and when they do things and when the doors open and it's like, I don't know. I think sometimes there could be a lot, a lot of information overload, if you will. Yeah. Where it, it, every piece of meat's different too. I mean, you can ballpark things. Like I pretty much know like within, you know, an hour, my brisket's probably going to come off, but you know, it, it changes, you know, week to week. So I, it's done when it's done. Exactly. Exactly. That's, That's another thing that I think all of us try and teach newer teams is, I can't give you a temperature. I can't tell you when exactly that's going to be done. It's done when it's done and you just have to stay on top of it. And the only way you can do that is with experience. Yeah. And that's probably one of the, was one of the hardest things for me to learn was I was one of those guys when I first started was everything had to be about temperature. And It took a while for me to realize it's not, it's about feel and, mm-hmm. It just it, that's just something that you get with a little bit of experience. Yep. Who would you say has impacted your life the most in competition barbecue? Hmm. I don't know. That's I don't know if I have like a like necessarily a direct mentor. I'm just glad you didn't say Brad. Oh, uh, definitely not Brad. <laughs> i don't know like probably some of the older like successful guys like jeff staney rod gray guys like that that you know had like mega success like you know it's it's funny how it's barbecue so like what have you done for me lately and people forget especially in a competition barbecue like how good people were, you know, just a few years ago. Like, right. It's, it's so like, we have like the barbecue hall of fame, but people like just have like kind of, we have no sense of like history of like how good, like, like how good, like Danny Mike's was or any of those type of guys. So I, I kind of look back on like some of those guys no, that's and that's good, and that's. I'm trying to interview a lot of those guys through this podcast to kind of let them bring their stories back out and and let people know who they are and who they were and what they did and and kind of try and preserve a little bit of that history. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's something that's pretty important to me because because like you said, just sitting around talking with like Danny Mike's. I mean, it's unbelievable what you can pick up 
it's well, just that I'm, and i don't even think like most people know in kcbs but i think there was a year that i think he cooked like 20 times and won like 18 grand championships or something it's like he's kind of like an unknown but how good he was when he competed yeah and and he's just an insanely nice guy yeah and it's <laughs> probably some of the nicest people in barbecue absolutely when you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue who's the first person that comes to mind Oh, I'll go back and say somebody like Jeff Staney. Like you yeah. think like, like I heard a story where him and his wife, Joy started like literally started catering out of a, a small kitchen in Westwood, Kansas. And then they went on to have their, you know, barbecue team. And now he's, you know, Joe's Kansas city, the Kansas city barbecue store has a USDA facility. I don't know how many other businesses he's, owns and is involved in but you know barbecue hall of famer i mean he's pretty much done everything yeah jeff is a pretty amazing guy also again another just super nice guy and, yeah <laughs> and the stuff that he does uh through the kansas city barbecue store is pretty amazing uh the restaurant you know everything you mentioned yeah that's a that's somebody we need to have on here for sure <laughs> So when you are having a problem with a meat or something like that, who do you call for counsel? Who's, who's your lifeline? Well, I'm pretty lucky. We have a little barbecue thread going where like uh, Blaine Hunter and Joe Pierce and Brad Leiniger are on it. So, you know, I got access to some, some guys that are a lot better than me. So anytime <laughs> that... You know, I can usually reach out and, you know, pick somebody's brain. In fact, uh, about a month ago, at the end of June, we were cooking a double out in Holdridge, Nebraska. And I've been str struggling in chicken. And, you know, early on in our barbecue career, that was one meat that we were always really good in. And it's kind of just slipped away from us. And I was talking to Brad. I hate to give Brad any credit, but <laughs> I, have, I have to give him credit on this. And you know, he just simply asked, he's like, what are you cooking it to? And I told him, and he's just like, take it farther dummy. And I hadn't won chicken since 2017. And the next day I cooked it farther and lo and behold, we won chicken 180. First time we'd won chicken in four years. So, you know, it's <laughs> something it, and that just shows like when you're off, you're not off by very far. It's like everything is so tight now. Yeah. Well, it's like you mentioned earlier with the classes, you know, the field has gotten a lot tighter. There's, you know, it's everybody's had two or three classes and has some vague idea of what they need to do. Yeah. Like when we started, you know, 10 years ago, you could find a contest that you could kind of maybe somewhat cherry pick or something and go somewhere where the field wasn't as strong but you just can't do that anymore everywhere you go like the fields are strong there's going to be five six teams that are capable of winning everywhere it's just there's just the classes have made everybody so competitive yeah definitely i agree with that but it's also it's kept more people in the sport or in the hobby i think in terms of they can experience some success early yeah. And that keeps them engaged. Yeah. The 
one negative thing I maybe feel that classes have done is it's maybe narrowed like flavors down some, like we've kind of all gotten into the same box. Yeah. I would agree with that. Cause I always, I'll, we always tell each other and everybody like, we're all trying to cook the best average barbecue. Um, I would love to see some changes or I don't know if it's changes, but something where some more creativity can be rewarded. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like if you get too far out of the norm, you don't get rewarded for it. You'll get, you know, you'll get hammered. Yep. Get back in line. (laughs) Oh man, that's good. So what, (laughs) this is a great question. I'm going to ask it. How important is the art of psyching out your competition and psychological warfare during barbecue competitions? (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think there's, I don't know if that, I don't know if you really can. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's you guys out west, especially you guys mess with each other a lot more than we do out here. I don't know if we're trying to actually psych each other out or it's just just having fun. Yeah. (laughs) I tell people stories about uh, going out there and, you know, we're all throwing beer bottles on top of each other's trailers. And and, you know, people here are just like they they retract in horror like how could you do something like that you know it's like it's just a little bit of a different vibe that's for sure (laughs) it it, it does seem like they're like uh more uptight yeah it can be i mean it's a little some people take it you know very seriously and i love i love the camaraderie of it all and having doing the fun stuff and that's good stuff so we love to talk about our successes and the great things that we do and the wins and everything. I like to talk about failures. Do you have any favorite failures of yours that really taught you uh, something about moving forward that led to future success? Like going back to earlier, we've all had like, I think just experiences where, you know, just little things like, you know, you don't wrap your ribs up as well, or you drag them across the grate and you rip them and you lose all your wrap liquid or, you know, same thing with a brisket and you, you learned that you, you might have to put a little bit of a pan under them or something to not rip your foil. You know, we've just had little things like that, that, you know, just little tricks and tips that you learn through experience of, things not to do or yeah another example is uh i know this just happened to me a couple cooks ago is uh i'm now cooking chicken on the drum and the last time i cleaned the drum i recalibrated the thermometer and i messed it up and when i went to check chicken at 11 30 i was at 160 degrees oh wow so you know i had to rip the diverter out and you know rage chicken for you know about 15 minutes and i ended up getting a pan you know up to about 190 which it the texture still wasn't where i wanted it but we ended up salvaging like a ninth place call so it's just things like that like 
it's you're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to go right, but it's like knowing how to react and how to fix those mistakes. I think that's what separates the guys who are just good to the guys that are great. Like how you finish something like finishing that, that last, you know, 15, 20 minutes. It, it really is. I think it's the most important 20 minutes that we're doing something. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think like Tim Shear's probably the best at like, if you've ever cooked around him and seen how just out of shape and messy he is, but like he knows exactly what to add to something to fix a mistake or how to tighten up at the end when it's time to box something. I think he's, you know, probably one of the best at that. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think there's, you know, probably 10 guys out there that really thrive in that last 10 minutes. And that's something that I've really been trying to work on myself, you know, in terms of improving how I do and how I taste and what I'm looking for. So, yeah, that's probably one of my weaknesses is I get so regimented in what I'm trying to do that at the end that sometimes I'm not willing to maybe take a chance that I should. Right. And then the only way you learn is by taking that chance. Exactly. And and seeing, seeing how things go. So what's the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you? Um, probably, I would say probably like the, like going in, like just starting out, like the friends that I've like lifelong friends that I've got, like, I didn't probably expect to like the people and like the group of people that I've met, like there's guys that, you know, I'll have like friends. These guys will be around for the rest of my life. You know, I probably didn't expect that. Like when I started competition barbecue, like, even if I'm not cooking, you know, we're still texting, um, there's guys that, you know, that's, he doesn't even cook that much anymore or cook, he cook at all on a team. And, you know, we go pheasant hunting in the off season together. So I would say, I would say that probably the relationships that you build. Absolutely. Absolutely. People that will be friends with you forever and do anything for you. That's, yeah. that's the one constant in barbecue that is pretty universal. Barbecue people are pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. 90%. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to a a young, smart cook who's about to enter the world of competition barbecue? Don't do it. <laughs> Jump right in. Like, I see people that are, like, so hesitant, and they want to, like, maybe go do, like, a backyard or something. I would just say go straight there's no other way to i think the best experience you're going to get is just to to jump in and do it you know get with another team that has some experience and like park next to them in a contest so like if you have questions like you can holler over and ask but just jump in and do it i love that advice i think that's awesome Cause I think that's how you're going to learn the fastest. And then obviously, you know, a, a class, but I mean, if you, if you want to cook, just get in and do it. 
it, it doesn't matter the, the, the cooker, anything, just get in and do it. Nothing teaches like experience, buddy. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you for being on here, but now we got to do the rapid fire questions. Okay. I hope you're ready for these. All right. I'm excited about them. Making me nervous. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Um, probably like when a really good team like has a bad category and then they post that box on social media, like almost like how dare you like judge this box down. Right. <laughs> I love that stuff too. <laughs> I, it, it's kind of like bothers me. Like I, we never put any of our boxes out there or, or somebody who's cooked a long time and knows it's a good looking box and they put it out there and like are kind of fishing for like pats on the back. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about when they put it on like, uh, absolutely the, like rate my, you know, or How judge my box. Yeah. You know, or like <laughs> fishing for that. And I'm just like, you've got like 30 grand championships. You know what a good box is. You're just out there wanting everybody to, <laughs> it's it's that? that it's that kind of stuff that kind of yeah gotcha do you have any favorite pre during or post competition meals probably like the kolaches that people make bring around for breakfast in the midwest uh -huh. and a lot of times after karen and i like to do like mexican after a contest yeah, that's one of our favorites too. Anything with barbecue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? Um, I don't know if there's one specifically. I think if I'm going to give a gift, I'd want to know the person and give them something that would be meaningful to them. Right on. I'm, I've started giving people barbecue sauce, our new barbecue sauce. That's my That's my go-to now maybe alcohol yeah that's a good one that's a good one all right last question if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it getting a message out to millions of people what would it say and why wow you're getting deep i know talk less listen more that's a great one that's a great one wow cool We'll make that the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you for being on here. You want to tell people where they can find you online? Um, and any, just, any sponsors you want to hit? Uh, yeah, our sponsors, uh, Cosmo Competition Products, the Kansas City Barbecue Store, um, Blues Hog. I think that's pretty much it. And you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Dirt Road Barbecue. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the old Virginia smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have another episode for you next week. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedenka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021.